0: Episode 65. This is the One Foot Down podcast coming to you live. I'm Eric Murtaugh. I am here with uh, Phil, a.k.a. Young Curmudgeon. Another Notre Dame win. Uh, Finally got that 10-win, 10-1 and season under our belt. Uh, Wasn't pretty at the end, Phil. Um, Another frustrating win for us to talk about. First of all, let's kind of get our uh, Shamrock Series thoughts out of the way first. I guess we'll start there. What would you think about the game at Fenway, kind of everything that you saw on television or read online? Obviously, neither of us were able to participate in a lot of the activities that were there. What would you think about everything?
1: I'm fairly neutral about it. I I know that makes for a bad conversation, but... (laughs) I really kind of was excited about it, thought it would be really cool, but by, maybe it was just because the game stunk that by the end of it, I was like, eh, you know, this, this part of me just wants to scrap this whole thing and just, you know, give us another home game. Um, if they want to wear, you know, jerseys or whatever, uh, throwbacks or something for that game, fine, whatever. I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't blown away by everything. I just I – don't, I don't really get why Fenway – um, you know, I think I mentioned this when I wrote the review of the jerseys when they were first unveiled uh, earlier in the in the year, is that I, I, I don't like the idea of playing at baseball venues, particularly ones that need to be uh, converted into a football that don't do that on a regular basis. I'm not talking like the old Metrodome or, you know, whatever, where, you know, it's on a weekly basis that uh, the staff has that. Um, and the reason for that is that I think it, I don't know. I I don't think it contributes to a good product on the field. I think there was too much going on last night. That's all that nonsense with the screens. I know everybody's going to say it doesn't mean much, but I don't know. It just seemed like a big distraction. I don't know if it was distracting for the players. Certainly, I felt it distracting for me as a viewer. Um, But, you know, and there's been talk about whether or not the lights played a role in, you know, vision or anything. I don't know. I'm just... I'm starting to, you know, I, at first, I guess when I was a little bit younger, I, I was kind of like, oh, cool, this is really neat to go out to these places. But I guess I'm starting to I don't know, not enjoy the Sarah mock series as much as mm-hmm. I used to. I, I'm starting to see it as being a little too gimmicky for my taste.
0: Yeah, that it's a tough situation. It does kind of feel like we're kind of wearing it out, or it's just kind of losing its. It's zest a little bit. I, I generally do like the Shamrock series. Um, you know, I'm a big uniform person, even though I didn't like this set. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But, I don't know, it feels like some some years it's really fun and everything kind of goes off really well. Other years, it's kind of a big dud. This was a really interesting game, you know, just looking at it from the Shamrock series. I thought the venue looked really cool. I thought it was neat. I don't I don't know. I wasn't really all that upset about them playing in a baseball stadium and all that. But, you know, like I wrote in my preview of the game, I was just scared of death of this game just because of the, just everything that was going on. And like you said, a lot of distractions. Um, I don't think it really helped us that we were playing this game at Fenway. I think, you know, it helped Boston College a lot. Um, Just everything around it just kind of felt like this was going to be a closer game. And, you know, I didn't even think it would be a three-point game, but, you know, I don't know, like, how long are we going to be doing the Shamrock Series for? You know, next year, I think, is in the Alamo Dome against Army. I mean, that's not going to be worth anything, yeah. is it? I mean, that's going to be a- another dud. I don't know. Like, how long yeah. are we going to be doing this for?
1: To be honest with you, I don't understand why it's an annual thing. I mean, if we did the Shamrock Series every two years, every five years,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and made it a real event, I think you got something there. And that might be, you know... uh, you know, something special, or maybe once every four years. So every class of players has an opportunity to experience one. I think that's probably the the best compromise there because to be perfectly honest with you, I think it's getting old. I think just play a home game or if you're going to play in a neutral site, play one that makes sense. You know, I, I, I get that there's so much, I don't know. It just feels like so much. I don't want to say the the word that keeps coming to my tongue and I'm, I don't know if it's the right word. It's just shilling. You know, it's just like, we're going out there and you know oh it's boston so we got to play in fenway and you know it does it make sense to play in so, though but you know, we're going to go out and do it anyway because it's, you know, great optics or whatever. And it just seems so canned and so contrived. I mean, when, when Notre Dame played a Yankee stadium, for example, that made sense to me because of all the history of Notre Dame playing like army and Yankee stadium, all that. And there's, there's, there's more to it than just, Oh, look, we can sell tickets and we can sell. Well, we weren't even selling tickets to this game because there's no seats in Fenway, but you know, it's, we can, you know, we can just make this media bonanza around playing in Fenway, and I thought it's supposed to be about what what's going on inside Fenway, not just that we're here. And it just seemed like that's what it was all about. And I don't know, I I, I went into this being really excited for this game. I thought it was going to be really cool, and I don't know, it just sort of confirmed for me some suspicions I've had about this whole series. I think all along.
0: I think the thing they have to wrestle with is you know, get down to the basics. Is it really a smart football decision for the program? Um, you know, I, it, there's no doubt that this is good for the university. They can come out and promote their product and, you know, have all these events before and, and after, and um, you know, not necessarily – from a football standpoint, but, you know, wearing the uniforms once a year is cool. And, you know, that kind of adds a little bit of value to the uh, recruiting and it kind of makes Notre Dame look a little bit more hip. And, you know, I think that stuff helps, but at the bottom, the bottom line, I mean, does it really help the football program? Does it make our life easier or tougher? Do you think they maybe need to try to play tougher teams in the Shamrock Series, do you, or you think I, I, it's kind of better off playing weaker teams and kind of just? Going
1: uh, here, here's to what: if they really want to keep the Shamrock Series as an every year event, I'll tell you what they should do with it. They should play Navy every year, right? We should, I don't I, I'm in, firmly in the camp that we should play Navy every year. I think what we should do is play Navy the first game every year and make Navy the Shamrock Series. You want to go play it in a neutral site? Fine. You want to have nice uniforms? Fine. Whatever. We have to play Navy every year anyway. It's got all this tradition around it. Make that the Shamrock Series game. Call it whatever the heck you want to call it. You know, like I said, you know, you want to play in a professional stadium, you want to play it at a nice venue? Cool, go do that. But make it out of something that you know doesn't really impact our scheduling that much, so we don't have to. You know, it doesn't become this big contrived thing. The Notre Dame Navy thing is already a big tradition. Tap into that. Don't try and make this completely new sort of fabricated tradition. Uh, that you know seems to already be petering out after only what five seasons. It
0: started in two thousand nine, seven. So we've done seven games, I think. Yeah, yeah, we're creeping up on a decade. I wonder how long yeah. it's going to last. Let's talk well, about the game. Are, a lot of those were retroactive too. If you remember, they didn't
1: actually call. I think the game against Washington State, the one at Army at Yankee Stadium, as the actual Shamrock Series. I think those were that was a moniker that was sort of yeah, that's true. retroactively applied. So. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's something that they need to reassess uh, presently.
0: Yeah, I bet after next year there'll be something, some movement on that front. Let's talk about the game itself. Uh, Notre Dame came out, scored ten points in the first quarter, but you know the big story is going to be turnovers uh, on the other side of the ball. Boston College almost literally couldn't do anything for the vast majority of this game. You know, the Notre Dame offense actually did a really good job moving the ball against a pretty stingy defense. But the turnovers just kind of killed them. Uh, made this game a lot closer than it should have been. You know, how how do you sort out the five turnovers and several other fumbles that they actually recovered? It, it could have been a lot worse. It,
1: it could have been worse, and we could have lost a bunch of those. I I don't I don't know where this came from. I mean, we haven't seen this at all, really, from these players in terms of I had a, and it was everybody was swumbling it wasn't just you know oh you know CJ process was having a rough night you know what I'm saying it was everybody was having an issue so I don't know what that means I mean I know Boston College was just playing tough I could see you know just watching that they were playing with good fundamentals they were finishing plays and at the end of the plays trying to get the ball out trying to rip the ball out I don't I don't know if I can say that they were doing that more than another opponent you know, I can't imagine that Clemson wasn't trying to rip the ball out. You know, I can't imagine that, you know, SC wasn't trying to rip the ball out. So I don't know why it was this particular night. Uh, the ball happened to come out a lot. Um, you know, like you said, we were moving the ball well. And I said a bunch of times while I was watching the game that, uh, you know, I really liked what we were doing in the past game. Finally, we were throwing slants. Finally, we were hitting guys over the middle. Mm-hmm. Developing that scene, developing the which is what I've been you know screaming about for the last couple of weeks here, is that that's really what we needed to open up in our game, which finally we did, but you know we got down into the red zone and you know the, the light went off. you know it just you know the I don't and it, and I think it was a lot of play calling, I think some of our, a lot of our play calls were just kind of baffling um in the red zone. Um, I, I didn't really think we were throwing a lot of high percentage things. and I, to be honest with you, I think that first interception that Kaiser threw just absolutely rattled him and he was I think he was playing you know sort of scared for the rest of the game. I think he, I think he got rattled more than people think uh, after that first pick.
0: Yeah, he had I, don't, I didn't really put the, the third pick on him that, that screen pass that was tipped. Um, I didn't like that play call at all. Here on the short side of the field, you try to shoehorn in a, a, a screen with barely any room to run and it gets tipped and picked off but yeah that first pick it, it looked like he had some room to run I don't know if he would have scored but he definitely looked like he would have gotten the ball down close to the goal line if he kept it and he i mean that was a that was a turnover let's let's call it what it is and then his second yeah. his second pick was just uh, awful off his back foot um over the middle just had wasn't anywhere close to the receiver um he also had another throw that was uh basically all but picked off the i think it was a linebacker ended up dropping i mean it could this could this could have been a really bad game but it it was funny because they they were moving the ball and he did finish with over 300 yards and you know he had a pretty decent game running the ball he didn't run the ball a whole lot but when he did he was doing pretty well it's just so hard to Talk about these turnovers and just be oh it's bad luck, but it does happen a lot. And I don't know, we only have seventeen on the season in eleven games. It's really not that crazy, but yeah, it's it's tough to really kind of get a hold on everything after a game like this.
1: Yeah, and that's and like you said, is we we really it, it wasn't like last year where you know we're turning the ball over. It seems like at least two or three times every game. Yeah, you know this is this kind of came out of nowhere, and I you haven't seen Josh Adams really doing that. You haven't seen pro size really putting the ball on the ground and frankly you haven't really seen kaiser putting on the ball on the ground or making or you know really trying to force the issue on certain throws and he just i don't know I, I i mean i'm the only thing that i can really hope for is that between last week which was not was not nearly as bad as this week but this week is that basically the team is phoning it in um you know, they're looking forward to Stanford, that basically you can make the argument that after SC, after they beat SC, that they've been looking forward to Stanford, you know, that this entire stretch, um, you know, that's kind of the optimist in me in that, you know, I don't understand how we could regress um, this far, Um you know i it, it kind of defies explanation because it like we said, you know everybody was dropping the ball. It wasn't just one person. I mean, look at how many I mean um will fuller had at least two key drops in this game yeah. you know that that immediately comes to mind. He had the long bombs down the sideline that could have put us set us up you know I think within the five that he just played dropped. he had also i think it was a comeback route. Um, that could have moved the chains in the fourth quarter um, that he dropped. And I think there was another one, a crossing route that he dropped that would have gone for at least, you know, 20 yards. Um, you know, and we've seen that a little from Will Fuller as well, that he doesn't, you know, doesn't catch with his hands as well all the time. But I don't know. It just – I don't know. This is this – is, the thing that bothers me most about this game, and you can, you know, give me your opinion on this as well, is that, you know, I feel like this is when we should be peaking. You know, if we're really talking about playoffs, and let's, you know, get to the 800-pound gorilla in the room, if we're talking about playoffs, as we're talking about a run here, you feel like you want the team to be peaking right now, not, you know, sort of wallowing in it and hoping to have a bounce-back performance in the final game of the season. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, it's it's difficult. I've always wanted to go through and look at, like, national championship teams and teams that won big goal games and kind of see how their, their season progressed because, you know, I don't really think – it's really hard to look and say, well, you know, it's a, it's a nice perfect curve. All the good teams kind of just get better. And, you know, every score is is getting a little bit better and they're covering spreads and it kind of culminates in them peaking at the end of the season. I don't know if college football is generally played like that, but maybe it is for the top teams. I don't know. You kind of look around the country and I don't know, is Clemson playing that way? Maybe, I guess it's, it's hard to say, you know, Ohio state losing this weekend, uh, Oklahoma state losing, you know, a lot of people are talking about Oklahoma is kind of peaking at the right time, but you know, they lost their quarterback in the middle of the game this weekend and they kind of went into a shell. Yeah. It's just tough to win in college football. I, I think, you know, I, I, I didn't think this game set up all that well for us, to be honest. I don't, I felt that way long before I was anti-chasing this one hard talking with our writers and, um, <laughs> You know, I I don't know. This felt like it could have been forty-five to three easily, and we're walking away with a three-point win. But you know, is this really going to hurt us that bad? Do you think? In terms of, I
1: I, I don't think it hurts that bad. And right after the game, and you saw my emails, is that I thought we were gonna, I thought we're hurt bad by this game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that was a reaction and sort of in the moment that man, we just turned the ball over five times, look like you know didn't look good at all but I think you know having some time to sleep on it and think about it and do other things in my life I think uh um I don't think it hurts us that much because I don't think anything else has really hurt us at this juncture you know what I'm saying if if, if, if we haven't been jumped by now with the resume that we have I don't think we're going to be jumped you know I think someone mentioned you know Iowa beating Purdue you know they gave up 20 points to Purdue I mean Purdue is somehow worse than Boston College you know they're awful You know, um, so I don't think that that pushes them ahead of us. OU, Oklahoma. I don't think, you know, beating a a banged up TCU team is going to push them ahead of us. I think we hold at four.
0: You know, it's going to be tough. I'll I'll say this: I think um, one of the interesting things this year, and I'm not, I'm, I'm really curious to see how at the end of the season this plays out, but we're really getting the benefit of the doubt from the national media, from, you know, corners of the media that are usually a little bit hostile to Notre Dame. And I was watching, you know, a lot of the post game stuff and, you know, watching other games and watching highlights. And I was preparing for them to say, you know, Notre Dame struggles with Boston college, blah, blah, blah. They're going to fall, but you really didn't see any of that. And it really does feel like people are on board with this Notre Dame team or program, I guess, and, and believing that we're just we're strong like we are a top five team right now our top 10 team and we're going to get the benefit of the doubt so i'm curious to see how is that going to change if we lose to stanford or you know what's it going to be like next year if we beat stanford and, and maybe do something in the playoffs or win a one of one of the major bowl games because you know these past two weeks have been really strange as, notre, as a notre dame fan because we're kind of like oh you know, we didn't really take care of business the way we were supposed to, and yet we're kind of still where we want to be, and the media's not really been on us all that hard.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think I I don't really know what to make of that because I feel like half of it, like you said, is sort of expecting, you know, people to really come down hard on us because you know it's. <sighs> I feel like we're not performing like a number four team in the country. I I'll, you know, I, I guess that's sort of what I'm trying to say. Right. But at the same time, you know, Ohio State didn't take care of business. You know, we've been taking care of business for the most part. And I think that that's ultimately what they're looking at. And I think that they are really trying to make a, a statement in terms of the, the committee They're trying to make a statement in terms of you need to have a complete schedule. So your schedule needs to be uh, – have some tough games in it have some you know easier games, but those easier games can't be, you know, um, you know, Charleston Southern. Admittedly that's who Alabama played um this past week and I doubt they'll be penalized for it. But if you look at more the uh the Big twelve, you know, basically say that look you're not gonna be able to just, you know, play, you know, eight patsies in a row and then, you know, play a little bit of an in uh conference schedule and then you know uh just be able to ride in on that. Um but I don't really know. I don't know. I, I just feel overinflated. I, I feel like we're overrated. I, I don't know if I'm right. I, I, I have no idea if I'm right. But I, I think we're overrated because I think that if we really were the number four team in the country, we would not be – I don't know. I don't know. I just, it just seems to me like we're I, – I, I'm just afraid that we get back into this playoff situation and then we have to – we draw like Alabama or something and we're going to get demolished. And, you know, that's sort of the thing that's always in the back of my mind is, you know, I don't think this team beats Bama. And, uh, that I don't know. It probably – it's not exactly a rational approach to it, but that's sort of what my approach to it is. And it's it's what bothers me when I think about us being in the playoff.
0: No, I, I feel you on that, definitely. I mean, I think about that too. I also think about, you know, what if we get matched up with Iowa in the playoffs? I know I'm – Mentally, I'm kind of prepared to not make the playoffs. I've always felt that way, and I'm still feeling that way. But I, I also – I'm like, oh, man, if we could just match up with Iowa in the semifinals and then see whatever happens in the finals. And, you know, what if we get matched up with, like, Baylor in the Peach Bowl? That, that would not be fun. I mean, it would, 10 times out of 10, rather play Iowa in the playoffs. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I guess this is just going to be – this test at Stanford is going to really tell us kind of where we are. I mean – we're so banged up that it's kind of hard to, you know, this isn't our full, full team and everything, but you're right. We need to, we need to come win this game. I don't know if style points are going to matter to people. I'm not really sure it's going to matter a whole lot. We just need to win.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think at the end of the day, Stanford is going to be a top 10 team. I think that they should be in the top 10 top, you know, 12, maybe. Um, when this game rolls around, they're 11 right now, and I'm sure they'll probably move up so they can be a top 10 team. And that's what we need is a victory over a top 10 team right now, you know, and uh, to get the job done because I, I don't like I, – I, I'm not saying Stanford's unbeatable, and I'm not saying we're going to lose, but I'm really, really nervous about this game. I think Josh Adams can pull the weight at running back. I'm not particularly – I mean, I, I I really want CJ Prosize playing this game, but that's most likely not going to happen. You know, I but I think Josh Adams can pull the weight. I'm scared to death about what's going to happen in that secondary
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, with Kavari Russell being out six to eight weeks now with a uh, with a stress fracture in his foot. Because I don't know. I mean, there's part of me that's like, oh, well, you know, we're kind of deep out there. We got plenty of bodies, but I mean, we had to bring in a. A wide receiver to you know do double duty at nickel because you know whoever was on that side of the ball wasn't getting the job done. You know I don't know if that's an accurate portrayal of the situation or not, but that's sort of the perception that I have. Mm-hmm. And you know who knows what's going to happen over there.
0: You know uh, when I was putting together the depth chart for Friday night, um, I was going to mention it, and I was like, oh, it's probably too much words for that kind of a post, but I was going to say that. You know, going into the off season, there's probably going to be naturally a lot of talk about replacing Schmidt and Jalen at linebacker. But the one area is the secondary, and we have not played anybody in the secondary. It's been really kind of crazy that we're not getting any playing time out of any of those guys. Like, I, I'm going to go back eventually and look at the snaps for all those guys. But you know, Coleman and Watkins and Butler, they're not playing more than two or three snaps at best in any game. Yeah. You know, they've got garbage time snaps, but you know, I was totally I mean, foreseeing going into off season being like we have no idea who's going to be our second corner, you know, safety, you know, maybe Avery's back, but yeah, it, it's it's scary now and you know, Kelly said basically it's going to be a three man rotation or competition for that Russell spot and that's not a good situation I don't think.
1: Well, I mean, there is, there's, you know, sort of another side to that coin where basically, you know, if you have two, you have two top corners on a the team, there's really no reason to take them out. You know, it's not one of those things I feel like you, you sub in frequently. You know, if you have two cover corners out there, which, you know, debatable on mm-hmm. that, that title. But, you know, the, the, they're obviously the two best on the team. There's not really a lot of reason to take them out except in garbage time. So I don't, I don't really know if we can say playing time uh, you know, is really the metric by which we can, you know, say whether these guys are, you know, I don't want to use the word busts or not, but, you know, but at the same time, I, I'm just kind of surprised that we haven't been able to figure out, figure out that nickel position.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, You know, we've had Farley in there. We have Hunter in there now. I mean, I know that, you know, Watkins um, supposed to be in there, you know, guys like Coleman and, you know, all these guys were supposed to, you know, these guys came in as, you know, highly rated recruits, you know, Nick Coleman in particular, you know, so it's kind of surprising that, you know, uh, that they don't really have a role quite yet. Um, But it was nice on the other hand, you know, sort of a different unit of the defense to see more contribution from other guys on the defensive line. I think we've seen more uh, Jonathan Bonner um, uh, in particular. He's showed up a lot. And I think that that's a big thing going down the stretch is to be able to get some more uh bodies up there give them more experience because if you could rotate up there that that's where you need to really need your rotation to keep guys fresh to make sure mm-hmm. you keep getting after the quarterback and it seems like we've been doing a better job doing that admittedly against you know sort of lesser competition but you know it looks like we have made
0: some progress there yeah every time i think about that nickel position i think you know, we always get excited in the preseason and during August camp about all the positive vibes that are coming out. And you think about that position. At first it was, you know, Sean Crawford's uh, an amazing nickel. He's going to start possible freshman All-American. He gets hurt, and then we're saying, um, oh, well, we're going to put Russell there, and uh, he's going to play a lot there, and he's going to be a, a big playmaker from the nickel. And then who's going to play the other corner spot? Well, Butler came on strong towards the end of the fall camp and you know they were super impressed with uh Coleman, the true freshman, and then you kind of fast forward to where we are now and basically none of that happened <laughs> at all. So Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of makes you think, you know, you gotta kinda check yourself when uh before the season starts and all the, the rainbows are flying all over the place. It just seems like it does seem like the nickel corner spot has been I don't know, complicated for them. Usually just kind of play your your third best corner there and you know, Farley's been there and then he's not and then we we didn't play corner for like six straight games, which was weird. Yeah, that's an odd situation.
1: Yeah, I I mean I think a lot of this has to do with injury. I think a lot yeah. of you know yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, you know the biggest the, the you know sort of the sleeper injury that nobody's really talk everybody's talking about walk-ins and um Jordan Jones and everything, you know, is Drew Tranquil. I think he was supposed to be a major contributor on the back end of that defense, and you know, his absence has really sort of tied them down in terms of flexibility uh, in moving guys around and being able to do different looks and different formations out of that secondary to be more effective. Um, And I think that that's really, really hurt us um, since his since his injury.
0: Um, let's talk about the defense um, in this game against Boston College. Uh, the Eagles had 86 yards in the first half. They punted six times. They turned it over on downs on another drive. They fumbled another drive. You know, we go into the halftime, and it was pretty much this is exactly what we were envisioning, Notre Dame dominating a hapless Boston College offense. They couldn't really throw the ball at all. Basically just turned into the quarterback scrambling every once in a while, and that was it. We come back in the second half. They rip off a sixty something yard kickoff return. They get a field goal off of that. End of the day though, that was their that was one scoring drive. They scored on an eighty yard run. And then they kind of added a quasi garbage time. But still frustrating nine play, eighty six yard touchdown drive at the end to make it close. Um, you know, what'd you think about the defense? You kind of upset with them, kind of thought, you know, this is who they are, what was going on with them?
1: Yeah, I don't – it's hard to assess the defense. I think for the most part it seemed like they were dominating, which they should have been. So, you know, uh, you know, I think I said a bunch of times watching this game that, man, it's a real – especially after turnovers, that, man, it's a really good thing that Boston College can't is, – is is absolutely inept on offense. If we were playing a, a a team with, you know, any bit of life on offense, we would have been in big trouble, um, to be honest. Um you start uh, the thing that I'm not liking is just the breakdowns in communication. I mean, you look at an 80 yard run by their quarterback. Um, and at that point, you know, it looked like if you look at the replay, it looked like, you know, everybody's probably going to yell at Joe Schmidt for this, but you know, it looked like Jalen Smith, you know, m- blues assignment. And then it looks like Matt red, Max Redfield again, you know, sort of had, you know, was completely confused by what to do on that play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and these mental errors you know it's one of those things where uh you know you get beat on a play fine you know whatever you know you were in the right place at the right time you just got beat physically that's something you can deal with but you're looking at it from the point of view that these guys are making the same mistakes every week you know that there's no learning curve here we're not progressing we're not getting better you know, we might, you know, be more physical and be more aggressive in some games, you know, at an individual level, but from playing within a scheme. And, you know, the question is, you know, everybody's complaining about Brian Van Gorder's scheme. The question is, are the players really playing Brian Van Gorder's scheme? You know, it seems like, you know, the scheme puts people in position to make plays, and guys are not being disciplined and not playing their assignments, not, you know, doing the right thing, Um and it's stuff like that that really, really bothers me going forward against playing better offenses because I, I don't think that we 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 just haven't progressed. We, it seems like it's the same thing again and again and again. You know, it's the same guys making the same exact mistakes again and again, and I don't and we don't seem to be getting better.
0: It's so it's so strange. I don't know why. It seems like after every game we hear about how Van Gorder needs to tweak his defense. It's too complicated. But like you said, it's the same mistakes, and they're not these aren't like scheme mistakes. It's just guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if this isn't like, you know, super high level NFL stuff, it's just really simple, fundamental football mistakes that, you know, I hate to pick on them, but I just Max Redfield, it's just been consistent all season long, giving up big plays. And he's been the culprit on so many of them. It's, yeah. it's tough. I mean, you know, like I said before, if we play Baylor in a bowl game, I mean, they might just chew up our secondary, uh, and we might have to score 45 points to win that game, and that's what really scares me. Playing against Either a better that team,
1: or you, or you just concede the whole field and play for vent, and just you know try and play a, a half court game and just <laughs> shut them down in the red zone.
0: Yeah, one. You know, <laughs> maybe that's not really uh, Van Gorder's style, but maybe you know when Baylor comes to town, he might rethink his approach. But yeah, yeah I, mean. <laughs> I don't understand why Van Gorder gets so much you know, flack for his scheme when it really does seem like the players are just too many mental errors. I mean, at some point you can pin that on coaching, but it doesn't really seem like, you know, we're doing something with our scheme and and, and a guy's wide open because we, you know, didn't cover it. It's like we followed the wrong guy and that's on the player, not
1: the coach. Yeah. You know, somebody was looking, it seems like guys are looking to make big plays. Guys are looking to be aggressive and when that happens, you know, we, I think we get caught a lot of time with, you know, linebackers and safeties looking in the backfield, looking to come up and make a big play, make a big hit. And, you know, the guy who's actually their responsibility is blown by him for, uh, you know, a 25-yard gain. Um, yeah. So I think that that's on coaching, I think, as well, because I think that we've been preaching a lot of aggressiveness and a lot of this and a lot of that. And, I, you know, I don't – but then again, I'm sure that they're not, you know, they're not saying, you know, abandon your responsibility to potentially make a highlight reel. I don't know, but it's, like, you
0: know, I don't know. Well, Notre Dame's 10-1. and one. Um, You know, it's hard to look at that record and kind of look at how this game went and kind of be happy with things. But ultimately, this has been a really good season. It's been a fun season. Um, how, you know, where are you kind of, where are you at now with Notre Dame at 10 wins? Uh, this, this was a huge benchmark for me, I thought, no matter what, we needed 10 wins this year. So I'm pretty happy where we are right now. I'm, I'm probably leaning towards us not getting the job done next weekend, mainly due to injuries, but, you know, 10 wins is 10 wins. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it from the same point of view,
1: is that it is a, <coughs> excuse me, a very uh, – it's a benchmark. 10 wins is a benchmark, and I think we need to start seeing this going forward that, you know, 10 wins is now – not only a benchmark, but the baseline. I think that's really what this program needs is to have this as the baseline. Having ten wins is what we're looking to do every year. And to be honest with you, with everything that's happened, with all the injuries, this that and the other thing, is that what what is really Notre Dame's worst picture right now? Right. Playing some New Year's Eve bowl. Right. let let's be perfectly honest. If we don't make the playoffs. We're we're playing in the Fiesta, the, the you know the Peach or the Cotton, no, Cotton's playoffs, but you know we're playing in one of those bowls. You yep. know that, that's the, that's the worst thing that that's our that's our floor right now. You know, so with all that was lost with with Zaire, with you know everybody being lost, you know the fact that we're sitting here complaining about a win that brought us to ten and one, you know is is you know after some of the years in the recent memory is uh is quite an improvement and it's something that, you know, I hope we can build off of. And I think this brings back to a conversation that we had a couple of months ago about Golson, about the end of Golson's career when he transferred to Florida State, was that he was never able to build on what he accomplished here. You know, he you know, we got to the national championship game, but due to his academic indiscretions, you know, we had twenty thirteen where Tommy Reese had to come back in and it was a regression. You know, and, you know, 2014, he came back and, you know, whatever. But it's not necessarily about Eric Golson, but just that Notre Dame hasn't been able to build on what success it has had in recent years. And that's really for me, this season is not over until sort of next season is, if you will, because I want to see, okay, we had a 10 win season this year. Do we build on this? Do we continue to advance the program? And next year is going to be more of the same from this year of 10, something around 10 wins, you know, Mm -hmm. going forward. Um, and I want to see if finally Brian Kelly has w- is in the position to actually make this
0: program consistent at the ten win mark. Yeah, that it's kind of the next step will be stringing together multiple or at least a back back to back ten win seasons. So you're definitely right on that part. Did you get a chance to watch Stanford play last night? It was on late. Uh- I didn't get a chance to watch Stanford play last night. I had some studying to do, but I did, you
1: know, I watched a bunch of other games uh, during the day. But, um, you know, Cal isn't that great of a team. Um, You know, I'm glad to see Stanford win. Um, It's just sort of watching the highlights and reading some of the stats, you know. I think that their offense really comes down to McCaffrey. I think if you stop him, I think Hogan – You know, if you if you come up the middle and hit them, or if you you know just put pressure on them, or you know get some decent coverage on their receivers who aren't that great. There's no more time Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can contain the Stanford offense. It's no, I don't think it's any juggernaut that you know that is indefensible. I think we can probably shut them, not shut them down, but slow them down enough to
0: uh, to get a victory. Yeah. The one thing with them is their defense has taken a pretty sizable step backwards from the past four or five years. And I was watching this game. I think, you know, after watching this game, I, I'm pretty sure Jared Goff going to be the number one quarterback taken in the, in the NFL draft. I know that doesn't really say a whole lot because it's going to be a probably a pretty terrible uh, quarterback selection, but um, he was pretty much carving them up. They were struggling a little bit in the red zone. You know, they don't really have a, a good running game and Stanford tightened up a little bit, but, you know, he was doing a lot of whatever he wanted in the passing game. And, you know, Stanford was applying pressure sometimes, but he was, he was doing a lot of good things out there. And, and hopefully Kaiser can come out and have a good game passing and and not have any turnovers because it might take that to win the game. But, yeah, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth with, with uh, McCaffrey. He's uh, – I think for most of the season it, it's been a little uh, – overblown about his uh his total yardage because you know how many starting running backs that are heisman contenders return kickoffs like really no one does that so he's been getting 60 to 80 yards per game just from doing that and he's you know he's a good returner but he hasn't really had any huge moments of of uh you know scoring touchdowns in the kick return game although he did have a punt return i think this past weekend but you know, it, it's going to be a good game. I think we match up well with them. I, I think that's kind of what people forget about Stanford and, and just in general. We always match up pretty well against the pro style, trying to run it down your throat teams. And we shut this defense, this offense down last year really well. So I'm excited to watch this game. I think people are, you know, worried about Schmidt against McCaffrey and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to do pretty, pretty well, even though I kind of erring on, Losing in Palo Alto, I think we're gonna do pretty good job against uh their offense, especially just kind of in terms of what Notre Dame fans are expecting.
1: To be perfectly honest, I don't think Joe Schmidt is gonna be the the you know, deciding factor in whether or not we're able to shut down their offense. I think it's gonna have a lot to do with, you know, do the safeties, do what they need to do, you know, and come up and make plays when they need to and able also to keep things in front of them and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I expect to see a lot of Jared Grace, a lot of uh, Greer Martini. Um, you know, get some big bodies in there, get some big bruisers in there, um, to, you know, really, you know, bring the lumber in, uh, in the middle of the field. And I think that, you know, I, like you said, I think we match up well. You know, I think the defensive line has done a pretty darn good job of stopping the run so far this year. And, you know, Elijah Shoemate, I think we, we, we haven't really mentioned, but, you know, cause he kind of gets lumped in with the rest of the secondary, but he's having a pretty darn good year. Um, you know, making some big plays. He's, he seems to be due for at least one, you know, tackle for a loss every every game. You know, he play, he defends that you know sort of screen the bubble screen fairly well. Um, so hopefully we can get these guys involved and guys can play some good discipline football and come out with a victory.
0: Um, later this week, I'm going to take a look at uh, the run defense versus the running backs that we face versus the quarterbacks we face because I think this week. You know, especially after this Boston College game where, you know, the running backs ran for fifty yards, yet they rushed for two hundred and fourteen yards as a team. Um I mentioned this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hogan outrushes McCaffrey this weekend. I just feel like that's kind of been our one Achilles heel this year as we we do a pretty good job to great job of shutting down running backs, but we leave the, the middle of the field open for the close quarterback runs and we got Killed. I wouldn't say killed with them against Boston College, but that was pretty much the only thing they could do um, against us. And uh, I'm interested to see how we've kind of balanced that out against Stanford. I can see McCaffrey running for you know like 84 yards and Hogan ripping off like three long runs and finishing with like 94 yards and stuff like that. Because you know, I, I think a lot of people say that Hogan's not really that great of a quarterback, and I would agree he's not really you know, superstar by any means. But he's a, he's a pretty good college quarterback. He, he can be annoying in the running game. And I think his, his feet are what worry me this weekend.
1: I agree. I know you go back to the last game we, uh, we played against Stanford. You know, he had a rushing touchdown. Um, you know, he does do a good job in the middle of the field, like you said. I don't really know what the, uh, what the, what the remedy is for Notre Dame's defense. It seems like for a while now we've just kind of conceded the middle of the field. Uh, to quarterbacks, mobile or not. Um, and I, I don't know if the the response is to, you know, have Joe Schmidt or, you know, I don't think Jalen, but, you know, have Joe Schmidt, you know, sort of spy the middle of the field or maybe, um, you know, Green Martini or whatever, you know, to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but definitely – I think part of that comes, you know, with, you know, we're not getting home on blitzes. It's, you know, we're vacating the middle of the field with the assumption that we're going to hit the quarterback in the backfield and we're not. You know, we're getting close, but, you know, we're not finishing the job. And now he's got, you know, 15 yards of daylight to work with, uh, you know, so hopefully we'll be able to get that sorted out, you know, uh, to to defend that. Because I think you're right in that it's going to be a major
0: component of Stanford's attack um, on offense. So the game is going to start uh, 4.30 West Coast time, I think. So 7.30 on the East Coast. So pretty much a night game for most of the country. Um, I'm trying to look up the uh, – see if a spread is uh, put out there. Uh, Stanford is favored by three-and-a-half uh, in a couple of places, and Notre Dame's favored by two in another. So we'll see how that factors out. That, that feels about right. Probably equal team, home field advantage, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. If, I think three-and-a-half is a little bit – well, I would, I mean, not that it really makes a difference, but I, I would feel more on the lines of, you know, one and a half to two and a half, you know, just more basically just account for the home field advantage, like you said. Um, but you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, so long as Notre Dame has one more, I think that's all that matters <laughs> in this particular game.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that'll wrap it up. you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, before we go, what, you you didn't like the uniforms, right? I mean,
1: um, I liked them when I first turned the game on. Right. Um, you know, I said that they, I thought they looked better than the promo pictures, the promo images that we saw from from Under Armour. As the game wore on, I don't know. They sort of wore on me, if you will. They just they kind of looked dumber and dumber as the game got went on. I think the all green was like a bad decision i think we should have gone with like a yellow like even like a mustard yellow pants or gold or whatever would have just to break it up a little bit um i think it was just at one shot they they showed like this low angle shot of the of the bench and a bunch of guys just sitting there and you know i turned and said man it looks like they're all wearing like green tights it looks dumb just you know it it didn't look i don't know it, did, I, it i don't know it didn't even look cool the helmets look cool i thought the helmets looked pretty cool I just think that the rest of the uniforms, I don't know. I could take it or leave it. You know, right. I, I don't mind throwbacks. You know, that's that's kind of the thing with me. It's like if you're going to do an alternate, I don't mind a throwback. But some of these new designs are just, you know, didn't, I mean, we all know why we're doing this. We're doing this because somebody wants to buy them and somebody wants to sell them. You know, and, you know, we're going to do it once and we're going to sell them.
0: And right. I don't know. It's, I, don't, I don't like it. I, I didn't I think- like these ones. I think, you know, I don't know. I I do so much research into uniforms and football uniforms. And, you know, you can do a lot of crazy things with football uniforms. And, you know, a lot of teams can get away with some crazy stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really that different than, you know, putting on a suit and stuff like that. You can pair, you know, a different pair of shoes and stand out. You can wear a different tie there's really there's like fundamentals of uniforms that I kind of feel like you shouldn't break and you know a couple of my pet peeves are mono the monochrome uniforms you know wearing the green and jersey and the green pants i mean that never looks good it, it's hard to pull that off and you know i would say the vast majority of the people who didn't like the uniforms that was probably their biggest complaint yeah, and the other thing which we did it last year as well is we don't put any white on the uniform and it completely just it's hard to explain. It just doesn't open up the uniform at all. It doesn't let the colors breathe. Um, You know, Doug Flutie mentioned it in the broadcast. It's hard to see the numbers from where you are. Um, Even watching on television with better camera angles, it's, it's difficult to see the numbers. And um, you know, those two things immediately when the, when the uniforms came out, I was just go, you know, we kind of, there's like two sins of uniform, uh, uniform world. Uh, we committed them. I don't And it's not just Notre Dame, you know, it's all these other teams, you know, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, they're all doing those two things all the time. It's kind of like a big thing right now. I would just wish they would stop it. I didn't really, I didn't like the, the helmets uh, when they were unveiled and uh, I didn't really think they were all that great. Um, it seemed like the, the shadowing and stuff was kind of obscuring the, the, the leprechaun head a lot. And uh, the, the face masks I thought were just kind of silly looking. But, you know, overall, I like that they do this. I like that they have an, a, an alternate uniform every year. Um, I always kind of – I'm I, it's like similar to me being an architect and, uh, you know, having a new unveiling of a building or whatever. It doesn't mean I'm going to like it. But, uh, you know, I still like to go to the unveilings and stuff like that. So it's always going to be hit and miss. I think we kind of have to just accept that fact and – just hopefully next year will be better. It'll be interesting to see what they do with with the army and the Alamo Dome. I don't know what theme they could ever come up with. We know like you said, when we went there the first time it wasn't really a Shamrock series game and we just wore our regular uniform. So who knows what I thought
1: bit. I thought we wore green to that
0: game. Um I think we no, I think I we were, in we we're in our standard uh we wore green the next year against uh Army. Well that's what I'm talking about. It, that army was date. That- was green that year. Yeah, but the, well, they've retroactively called that 2009 game uh, against Washington State as the first. Oh, okay. I okay. Yeah, the, the Golden Tate Hail Mary catch slash Dane Chris getting injured game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not really excited about that. That was probably the ugliest game, I think the turf and the, the, that whole building. I don't know why they play football. there. so stupid. Uh, yeah. All right. What What else? Anything else before we get out of here?
1: No. No, I mean, just, just you know, folks on Stanford got to win. You know, got to get that win. I, it's, you know, everything else, I don't think we should really be worried about what other people are doing right now. I mean, there's enough chaos, I think, right now that, you know, the more chaos reigns is always the better, I think, for Notre Dame. But, you know, at the end of the day, if they beat Stanford, I think, you know, I think we still got a pretty good shot of, of, uh, of getting into the playoff, you know, worst comes to worst, you know, like I said, we're playing on New Year's Eve. So, you know, and it's good for the program regardless. It's good for the program.
0: Yeah. We, if we get that 11th win, it's going to be awesome. Uh, got to break that streak in Palo Alto too. We've lost too many games in a row out there. Yeah. Uh, all right. That'll wrap it up. Um, our 65th episode. We'll see you guys in another week's time. Hopefully Notre Dame beats Stanford and, um, uh, we're kind of talking about making the playoffs or we're crying that we didn't make it in either or. So uh, that should be a fun time next week. We'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, I'm Eric. That's Phil. We'll see you guys next week. (laughs)